You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. All right, Bible's open to uh, Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1, second week here in our series, which is entitled Return to Me. I'm thankful for the strong start we had last week. I'm thankful for the feedback of God's people, too, just to hear how God is at work in your hearts. That's why we're here. It's what we do. Beholding the glory of the Lord, being transformed. And so God is speaking to us specifically uh, through Malachi 3, verse 7, the theme verse of the series, return to me and I will return to you. Amazing. God says, return to me and I will return to you. Why does God say return to me to his people? Because this is the heart of God for his people. A loved ones, just, just, just stop long enough and think about that. God calls out and he's like, I want you. I want your heart. I long for um, all of you. It is really blowing me away that God is actually jealous for our love. God is jealous for your love, loved one. I mean, just think about that. He's, he's not okay with, eh. Hey, what's up? How's your life with Christ? Eh. He's not okay with that. He's not okay with apathy. He's not okay with half-hearted devotion. He's not okay with that. Because that's not what he deserves. He has purchased us for our entire life, for our, all our devotion, for our greatest praise and wonder and dependence upon him. So he's not okay with lukewarm living. You got to hear that today. So right away, this is not a popular message for our world right now. Our world right now wants it to be about me and, and my pleasure and my leisure and my happiness. And that's the person who will forego the ultimate joy found in the only person possible, Jesus Christ our Lord. But God is jealous for your love. See, can I have a verse for that? Yes. James 4 verse 5. He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Wow. God yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. So our hearts are constantly wandering, and that is why God is constantly calling. Because he's not okay that we wander. He wants us to return to him, that he might return to us. That's why he brings on series like Malachi. Because that is the heart of this message in this small yet powerful book in the Word of God. And in week number one, we saw the people of God were complaining to God, and they were actually questioning God on his love for them. Oh yeah, God, how have you loved us, they said. You say you loved us? Show us. We don't think you loved us in the way that we wanted you to love us. Week number two now, that question gets thrown back upon God's people. So the real question should not be, hey, God, how have you loved us? The real question now is for Israel. Hey, Israel, how have you loved God? And let's put that in our context, in our situation now. The real question is not, hey, God, how have you loved us? He's proven that through his son, Jesus Christ. The question now for us and for you and I right now is, hey, people, hey, Robbie, hey, leaders, hey, group members, hey, church, Harvest Oakville, how have we loved God. Rather than God being on trial, it's time for us to sit on the stand for a line of questioning 
And what it's going to reveal, particularly Malachi chapter 1, it's going to reveal the sickness of the hearts and the sin within God's people. What kind of sin? Let me describe and summarize it in three L's. Leftovers, laziness, licentiousness. God's people were giving God not their best, actually their worst in many ways. Leftovers, the scraps of their lives, the scraps of their love, the scraps of their giving, the scraps of their time, the scraps of their giftedness, the scraps. God is worth more than that. They were lazy, flat out lazy, growing tired of the grace and mercy of God as we will see. Licentiousness, the evil among their lives, everything is permissible. No real true conviction in the Lord. The phrase of our passage that summarizes everything we're going to be seeing today is found in verse 6 of Malachi chapter 1. It's when the Lord looks at his people and he asks this question, where is my honor? That becomes our sermon title too. God says, where is my honor? Where is my honor? And that's the phrase I want to pull out today as our sermon title to use as our spiritual surgical scalpel. God says, where is my honor? The Lord is asking this question to his people in Malachi's day, and now the Lord is asking this question to his people here today. I want you to see the Lord pulls us aside collectively, and the Lord pulls us aside individually, and he asks, listen, loved ones, look here, look here, look here. The Lord asks among us all today, he looks right at you, man. I'll look at many people I can right now. I'll look right at you and just say, the Lord is asking you, he's saying, where is my honor? Lord, look, I, I got to go over here now. I, I need you to take this personally right now, collectively and personally. The Lord is looking down upon your heart and your life and where you are right now, and he's saying, where is my honor? Where, where, where is my honor? The only one who truly deserves all honor and glory and wisdom and our praise. Why is that question so important? Because it tells whether our hearts are sincere or insincere. What we honor proves what we love. Now, some of you might say, when it comes to honoring the Lord, I think I'm doing okay. Some of you might say, I'm not really sure I am. Some of you right now know I'm not living in the fear and the honor of the Lord. Well, this is what we find out together today. Why is this so important? Here's why. Because the honor of the Lord will determine the honor of our lives. Whether or not we honor the Lord will determine whether or not we are honored by the Lord. Say, how can you say that? Proverbs says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. The friendship of the Lord is for those who... Proverbs also says, the reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. The reward for humility and the fear or honor of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. Today's message is a very big deal. Today's message gets to the heart of our heart of why we're living and what it's really about. So let's answer this question. How do I know if I'm honoring God? Answer number one to that in our outline is this. By giving my best to him, no leftovers. I know I'm honoring the Lord if I'm giving my best to him, certainly not my leftovers. Malachi 1 verse 6 says, A son honors his father, this is God speaking to his people now, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, here it is, where is my honor? 
if I'm a father of all the people, if I'm a father of your life and your salvation, if I'm the good, good father, then where is my honor? He goes on, if I'm a master, where is my fear? You fear your earthly master. Will you not feel your, fear your heavenly master? Says the Lord of hosts. Says the Lord of hosts to you. Notice, O priests who despise my name. But listen to the objections again, the theme throughout Malachi. But you say, how have we despised your name? Arguing back against God. God responds, by offering polluted food upon my altar. By giving me your scraps. But you say, how have we polluted you, arguing again against God Almighty, by saying that the Lord's table may be despised? Priests, you are permitting this garbage to occur on the altar of the Lord. There's no honor. There's no fear. There's no respect. There's no love. There's no sacrifice. There's no holiness in your lives or your offering. You are despising the name, notice, by saying the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Notice what God says next in verse 8. Try giving that to your governor, he says. See if he will accept it, not a chance. So if your governor will not accept it, why should I then accept it, God says. Notice again, says the Lord of hosts. Do you know that in Malachi... That phrase, the Lord of hosts, is used at a much higher percentage than any other book in the Bible. Way higher. The Lord of hosts, why? The Lord of all uh, sufficiency, the Lord of all provision, the Lord of all glory, the Lord who meets your need, the Lord that brings salvation, the Lord that will do anything he desires to do, the Lord of hosts. And did you offer him your scraps, your leftovers? So the Lord is calling for his honor. He speaks into his people who are floundering in lukewarm, half-hearted devotion. And what the Holy Spirit does is, listen, he takes dead aim at the priests. He takes dead aim at the spiritual leaders of the day. You say, why would he do that? Here's why. Because the Lord knows as the leaders go, so go the people. As the spiritual leaders go, so go the people. Just think of the congregations that are led with poor theology or no theology. Think of the congregations that are led with no real pursuit and seriousness of holiness in their lives. Think of the congregations that are not instructed in the fear of the Lord or the honor of Him. Think of the congregations that are not pressed or challenged to have a real hunger for the Lord Jesus Christ or abiding in Him. Think of the congregations that are giving into culture at a rapid rate and capitulating to society in all forms. What is the result of congregations that are led by this? The result is you have a group of people who are malnourished. You have a group of people who are spiritually lazy. You have a group of people that are okay with growing sin. You have a group of people who are fundamentally immature in the word of God. You have a group of people who are unprepared for the reality, the trials, and the tests of life. You have a group of people, when they're not instructed in the fear of the Lord, they are lacking wisdom. Because the Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If a congregation ceases to fear the Lord, they have just foregone and forfeited the wisdom that only comes from God and therefore they can only be led then in the foolishness of their own human wisdom and the own lives in the world that they are living. This is a very, very big deal. Where the spiritual leaders go, so go the people. I need you to see throughout this text, the number one sin in not honoring the Lord is compromise. There's a lack of integrity. 
We must see how our lives, loved ones, are lived in the details. Watch out for your heart. Keep your heart with all vigilance. Why? For from it flows the spring of life. Watch when you start cutting small corners in lives. When you start cutting small corners in the details of your life, that is an indication of a greater problem of here. A greater problem of your heart. Something is wrong with your heart when you begin to wander in the details of life. Watch for the small indicators telling you that there's a sickness, there's a disease, there's an infection that has occurred here. Daniel Henderson says it so well. The devil doesn't have to destroy us. He only has to distract us. It only takes the smallest rudder on the largest ship to be turned ever so slightly. And you give that ship enough time when the rudder turns slightly off course and give it enough time and the end result could be catastrophic. Time and time again, the believer, the family, the leaders, the churches, they slightly go, not that big a deal, that's okay, we let go at where we are, we're not gonna honor the Lord, we're gonna turn the rudder just a little bit, but you give it enough time, and sure enough, happening in our day, all over this nation, turn the theology, don't take God's word very seriously, it begins in one step, and grows and grows and grows and grows, and literally you have people who become apostate, no longer valid in their true conviction in the Lord Jesus Christ, leading people to anywhere but the Lord Jesus Christ and true salvation. I'm telling you, man, it all begins with the fear of the Lord. It all begins with the honoring of him with our lives and us as leaders. No wonder then, I just need to say to you, probably more than ever, I've had people come up to me and say, Robbie, I want you to know I'm praying for you and for the elders. I can't tell you how much joy that brings to my heart. Why? Because I just trust me. I know my weakness. Every day I live, man, it's a battle for my heart. And it's a battle for yours. And here, trust me, I'm not taking lightly at all, man, the gravity and the reality that what happens in my life impacts a lot of people. I didn't ask for that. In many ways, I didn't want it. But it's true. With the elders of this church, the leaders, and of course, you're no exception. But let me just speak on behalf of the elders right now. Your prayers are absolutely rejoiced in and valued because we know we can't do this apart from him. We know every day is one day to seek the Lord and say, God, please save us from ourselves. I want you to know too, as you pray for your leaders, in some ways, it's a holy, selfish prayer. Because you pray for us, you're praying for yourself too. Because as we go, you go. We're in this together. And the reality and the unity and the beauty that is found as God's people pray for one another, especially for their leaders, that they might be protected from themselves let alone the enemy of our day. As the leaders go, so go the people. So the spiritual leaders of Malachi's day, they were compromised. How were they compromised? In verses six to eight, we get a dissection of their hearts. It started with this. They didn't honor the Lord. When they didn't honor the Lord, they didn't fear the Lord. When you don't fear the Lord, you despise his name. How do you despise his name? You love self or world more than God. When you love self or world more than God, then you give him polluted offerings. What are polluted offerings? Your leftovers, your scraps, anything but your best. You come up and you find out whatever change in your pocket and say, okay, God, here you go. Meanwhile, you're spending all these hundreds and thousands of dollars on your own benefit, leisure, blessing, and luxury living. It all starts with a lack of honor or fear of the Lord. Look at verse 8. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? Look at how God treats this. When you offer those that are lame or sick, 
is that not evil? Again, try to give that to your governor. He's not going to accept it. So again, why should God? Allow me to take a moment to show you the process of the heart here on the screen, what's happening in Malachi 6, 1, 6 to 8. This is the end result here, okay? This is the end result. What we have to do today, we have to discover, man, what part of my life is this? But notice, the cheap, lame, compromise offerings, my leftovers, but how does that happen? What happens from here? It's when I despise his name. The, this is the end product. This doesn't happen in a day. It's when, my, it's when my real affection is for things other than the Lord. He's the only one worthy of my praise. But I'm loving the world. I'm loving myself more than God. Well, then I'm despising his name because he's the only one worthy of my true affection. And that results in my cheap, lame, compromised offerings. But then how do I, how do I despise his name? Well, it's half-hearted devotion. He's not my first love. It's lukewarm living. It's apathy. It's lethargy. It's complacency. It's eh, whatever. The heart's not in it. One foot in the world, one foot in the church, kind of, but it's half-hearted. Jesus says, I spit that out of my mouth. But how does this happen? It begins with this. It all starts here. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If I don't fear the Lord, I'm not wise. If I'm not wise, I start falling to the traps of my flesh and the enemy. Then I start despising his name. Then I end up at church on a weekend and with my life, and I'm handing him the scraps and the leftovers to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That is not right. And that is the sickness of the heart that has been hardened and diseased. So we pause right now and we examine our hearts and we ask ourselves, what kind of offering am I giving to the Lord? Is the Lord getting my leftovers? You say, well, Robbie, how do I know of? How do I examine my life to figure this out? Well, I think the three main areas of examining if you're giving your best to the Lord are in these three categories. My time, my talent, and my treasure. Because your time, talent, and treasure will really indicate what you love and what you honor. And then what you love and what you honor, you will find out again what your life is really about. And by the way, in the fear of the Lord, those three categories, the right theology is his time, his talent, his treasure in my life. See what happens there? When you lack a fear of the Lord, you're like, my time, my treasure, my talent, it's mine. But the right theology says, I have lost my life. My, my, my life has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I deny myself what Jesus instructs us. See that? So the right theology is, it's his time. It's his talent. It's his treasure in my life. See, why would this be so? Because the Lord is so awesome, so loving, so worthy, so magnificent, so wonderful, so gracious, so glorious. There is simply none like him. The Lord is so merciful, so kind, so majestic, so generous, so patient, so loving, so sovereign, so holy. Because the Lord is so powerful, so infinite, so good, so faithful, so wise. Again, for the third time, so loving so without question and without hesitation then because no one can be described in this way and because this God has saved me from my sin without without hesitation without question then he deserves our best he deserves our very best because he is worthy of my praise and anything less loved ones when we give God second rate down the list super low priority we are hear this today we are despising his name God forgive us God have mercy upon us and he will give mercy to the heart that is truly contrite hear this already 
we don't give him our best so that he loves us. We give him our best because he has loved us. That's a very important distinction. We don't give him our best. So now, okay, he's like, Nicky, now I'm pleased. Finally, you showed up. Finally, you gave me some stuff worthy of my praise. Now I like you. That's not how God works, man. It's because he has given everything to us in inconceivable, incomprehensible, inexhaustible love that we then in turn desire in love for him to give him our best. Romans 12.1 says it so well. Paul says, I appeal to you therefore by the mercies of God. What's the mercies of God? It's the gospel. 11 chapters of gospel summarized in because the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel has saved you, redeemed you, restored you, reconciled you, ransomed you by sacrificing his own self, purchasing you with his blood. He has sanctified you, making you more like Jesus Christ. He guarantees glorification. He has placed his Holy Spirit in you that you've been adopted as a child of God. That's a pretty significant uh, theology wrapped up in, I appeal to you therefore the mercies of God, the gospel of God. Now here's the implication. God has loved you in this way. So therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. Why? Why? For this is your spiritual worship. See what's happening there? See what's happening there? The gospel commands and demands our sacrifice of our lives. An offering to the Lord. This has impacted me this week. Right now, Lord Jesus Christ, this sermon is an offering to you. That blesses me. When we sing, I'm offering you my praise. I am offering you my time. I am giving my life to your glory right now because you alone are worthy. And then forgive me, God, when I stroll in here casually, when I go through my days and I treat you lightly and irreverently and, and, and take you for granted and despise your name by what I say, how I think, and how I live. Because you deserve more from my life than that. Because you are the king of kings. You are worthy of everything I could ever give. You know, a beautiful illustration. It appears in every gospel, in all four gospels. It's the story of the sinful woman. In some form or one or another. This thing of the story related to what we're learning right here. She comes in, man. She's a woman of the city. She's a prostitute. Everyone despises her. She comes in. She's so in love with Jesus because in some form, some way, she recognized Jesus as the one who saves her from her sins. She bows down at his feet. She begins to weep. She wipes her tears with her hair on his feet and then she pours perfume over Jesus. And the people watching her do this, they're indignant. That's so expensive. We could have saved that and used it for the poor. Whatever, Judas, whatever. And others in the Pharisees, if Jesus knew who was touching him, he would never. And Jesus says, he says, leave her alone. For she has done a beautiful thing to me. And wherever the, he says this, wherever the gospel is proclaimed throughout this world, the story of her will be told with it. Why? Why? Think, 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 think. She has nothing that she will hold back because she is kneeling before the one who has given her everything. So the most expensive thing she can bring, she pours and breaks over the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing given to the Lord Jesus Christ in this way will be wasted, nothing. Because he is the one only worthy of all the worship we could ever muster. 
Don't you see? So she pours out her whole life in sacrifice and others disdain her for it. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ says, leave her alone for she has done a beautiful thing to me. How do we honor him? We give him our best. No leftovers. What does this practically look like? Let me, let me frame it in this way here on the screen. What does our best look like? It looks like this, the first hour of my day. I wake up, here's my day, Lord. Take it, use it. My first hour is my best hour. This is my whole life right here. It all starts here, abiding, God time. God, you are the one who allowed me to sleep and wake up. You were allowing, allowed my heart to beat, my mind to think right now. You're the one who's given me life. You're the one who has placed salvation in me. Lord, you deserve, you deserve the first hour of my day. Secondly, first day of the week. It's a principle of Sabbath. It's what we're doing right now. Lord, you have, you have bestowed on me the, the title of child of God if I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. I will set apart in principle the first day of my week to give to you in holiness and reverence and awe and adoration and praise and in worship. Next, the first check that I write. This is such a big one because in our society, in every society, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. This is, again, we always hear, Jesus taught on money more than heaven and hell combined. Why? Because if he doesn't have the wallet, he doesn't have the heart. Because if the heart's truly saved, the wallet's also converted. This is so important. This is so important. If you are showing up and handing over pocket change to the Lord, you have heart issues. You gotta face that today. If you're not giving to the kingdom and it's just a scrap here and a scrap there, you don't get the gospel. You don't understand the reality of what moth and rust destroy and what moth and rust cannot destroy, treasures in heaven versus treasures on earth. You don't get it. You are living for the world and not living for the kingdom. That's why Jesus cares about this so much. Because the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's a heart issue. Church wants my money. Whatever. God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. As if, as if God needs our money. Give me a break. But he wants our hearts. Why? Because he's jealous for our love. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Last one. The first priority of my giftedness. The first priority of my giftedness. My life being used, not for the bottom line of some company, the bottom line of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. How he's entrusted me. I have one life to live. I want you to notice this kid right here, and I didn't plan it this way. God time, gather time, give time, give time, go time, group time. <laughs> it's all here, man. It's the call of the Christ follower. You know, there's a truth that has impacted me this week and just even in terms of what are we really going after and are we giving God our best. In fact, I just want to show you, this is a picture from my Bible here. This is from Jeremiah 2, and this just hit me so hard this week and I had to show a couple of my children too. What wrong did your fathers find in me? God asked his people. I just wrote down a great question. How do you find fault in the Lord, man? He's, he's perfect. 
He God's hard here is like, why don't, why, don't, why don't you like me? You know, like, I've loved you with an everlasting love. And notice he says, that they went far from me and went after worthlessness. Now, here's the theology, here's the reality. When you go after worthlessness, anything other than Jesus Christ, if that's what your heart's set upon, you become worthless. Children, come here. Dad has a word for you. Come over here. Look at the Bible this week. Sit down. What are you getting out of this? What is the spiritual principle the Bible is telling us right here, kids? Come, come. Let's learn together, okay? And it took a little bit of time, but at the end of the day, saying, if I go after things of the world, I become like things of the world. I become worthless because the world ultimately is worthless. It doesn't last. It's temporal. If my life is based on the pursuit of the world, I am placing myself in the pursuit of worthlessness. I mean, do you really want to be worthless? But think about it. That's why I worship Jesus Christ, right? What is worship? Worship is worthship. We worship that which we place worth in. This is why when we worship Jesus Christ, we become like Jesus Christ because he is worthy of all our praise. You worship him, you become like him. He's the only one worthy of our true, unadulterated worship. And hear me throughout this whole thing right here, the first hour, first day, first check, first priority. Some will say this. Sounds like some form of you know, legalistic religious behavior. I can't disagree with you more. This is all motivated by love. I want to know this too. Some of us use, well, legal, some of us use legalism as an excuse to rationalize our compromise. You know what the Israelites did in verses 6 to 8? When God says, you despise my name. How? How have we despised your name? You polluted offerings. How have you polluted offerings, God? Who are they talking to? Like, it sounds like some kind of sibling rivalry that occurs in my house on a weekly basis. How come you get to? How come, they, how come she did? How come they, what is it? This is a conversation with Almighty God. And they dare to talk back to him and say, oh yeah, how are we doing that? I'm telling you, man, you're here right now and you're starting to form excuses in your heart for why this, the honor of the Lord shouldn't be in your life. I just, I just recommend right don't do it. Don't do it. The heart is wicked. Own it. Own it like I'm trying to own it before the Lord. How do I honor him? I give him my best. No leftovers. Secondly, how do I honor him? By being jealous for his name. No indifference. Look at verse 9. God says, and now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. But notice this. It's kind of sarcasm. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you? Says the Lord of hosts. See what's happening there? So entreat God for his favor. But if you're offering the gifts you're offering, is there any chance that he's going to show favor to you? The answer is no. Look at verse 10. All that there were one among you who would shut the doors of the temple that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. Wow. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. Consider how the Lord desires to be honored, his name to be feared. You know, I think of how many Christians that wander into the presence of God with a coffee in one hand and a smartphone in the other. Okay? Coffee in itself is not wrong. Smartphone in itself is not wrong. But listen, when you come in and that's an indication of the heart and there's indifference, that's the problem. Wandering into the presence of God and just so indifferent in heart and kind of serving our coffee and looking at a smartphone and there's no awareness of what we're actually doing in this moment right now. Listen, 
If you water into the presence of God that way, it won't be long before the presence of God is no longer there. Because we're grieving the Spirit of God with a heart of indifference that isn't fearing His name or calling His name holy. He won't stick around that long. He dwells with those who fear His name and love. Love Him for His glory. It's a serious thing. A number of years ago, I found myself as a guest preacher in a church that I wasn't too familiar with, and they had multiple services, and I remember between one of the services, I was sitting in the back, and the guy doing the announcements in the service, he started talking, and then somehow the conversation came around that he says, during the announcements, he was challenged, hey, can you say these three words or phrases in the announcements? And they were, for the most part, ridiculous phrases, kind of humorous, whatever, but nothing to do with whatever he's saying. So he goes out in the next service, worship, worship service, the next service, and he begins to do the announcements part of the worship service to God, and he fits in these ridiculous phrases into the announcements, and only those of us in the back room kind of knew what was going on. Now, I got to admit, at first, there's a sense where that's really funny, but then the conviction came in. What is happening right now? What is happening is you have a pastor of a church that is using the service dedicated to the holiness and worship and glory of God, and there's existing now zero honor of his name, zero fear of his name, and I said to myself, is God laughing at this? Is this, is this okay? That the worship service dedicated to God became a mockery? Hear me, I'm not against humor in church, the right way and the right time. But I am so against the idea that we can stroll in here and treat this like this is some game or some operation where we're just trying to get ourselves entertained, go through some motions, and then go back home and remain unchanged altogether. Loved ones, this is where we have to decide, okay, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to be smart, clever. I'm not trying to be sarcastic right now. I mean this sincerely. This is where we have to decide, what is this that we are doing here right now? Like what, we have to decide, is this truly a worship service? Or is it a social gathering? I mean, honestly, today, this is just my heart to yours right now. And again, I'm not saying this accusi- uh, uh, in accusatory fashion. I'm just saying, again, my heart to yours. Answer this question in your heart. Why did you come today, honestly? What was the ultimate priority and motivation? Did you come today to receive? Did you come today or to give? To give of the one who is worthy of our praise. This time right here should be the most sacred 90 minutes of our week. Theologically, it should be. It is the bride of Christ gathering before God to declare his glory and honor his name and hear his word. So I ask right now, where are the tears of repentance? Where's the reverence and awe? Where's the joy of the Lord? And again, I'm not saying that accusing anyone of anything. I'm just saying this is, this is my heart so much. I love this church so much. I'm so thankful to be a part of this with you. I love you so much. I love the people of this church. I'm constantly humbled with the integrity and the devotion and the sacrifice of praise to God, but we can never become okay with where we are because the moment we assume this is happening is the moment we are done. Again, I'm not trying to be smart right now at all. A couple of questions. Did your punctuality and priority of God today honor him? 
Did it? Did it show him honor with your punctuality and the priority that you've placed him today? Did the way you carried his word today and carry it right now, does it honor him that you are holding literally a holy book written by God? Did the way that you sang today honor him? Did the way that you prayed today honor his name today? Is how you are listening right now, is it honoring him? Will the way you treat the sacredness of the Lord's Supper in a few moments, will it truly honor him? I admit to you one of the great challenges for the worship team, the production team, for myself for sure, is the idea of a week in multiple services. And that each service would not become just the thing you do, but would be fresh and real and a true offering of praise every time you do it. And I will admit to you, too, you hit that last service. And our services, they're full of intense spiritual emotion. And you are giving yourself. And by the last service, you can sometimes just be like, man, I just, I'm just tempted to mail this one in. Because you're just saying, Lord, I don't, you, God, you have to do. But, just, but before the Lord, to say every person walking in here, this is the first time. And this is a sacred moment. And this is a service of praise and offering of glory to him. And so God, forgive me when that doesn't happen the way that you desire, but I will find grace, and so will you. I want you to see in verses 9 and 10, they're pretty remarkable. Again, the entreating for God's favor, but with what they're offering, right? So God says, you could ask for his favor, but with what you're offering, really there's no chance of finding favor. And how does that relate to our nation today and the church as a whole? Think of the offerings, and I'm not trying to paint a brush across the whole thing, wonderful faithful men and women across this nation, but the church as a whole, I mean, think of the offering on some level. Think of the sermonettes going on. You will not hear a message like this hardly anywhere in this nation. Why? Why? Churches sing secular songs. Why? Churches with cliche, perfunctory prayers. Gathered of people living self-indulgent lives with no sense of sacrifice or offering. People shallow giving across the board. Why? Hearts are not where they need to be. There's no honor of the Lord of fear. Look at verse 10 again. This is, this, is, this is remarkable. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you may not kindle fire on my altar in vain. You know what this is saying here? God's saying he'd rather the temple be shut down compared to with what's going on in the temple. Close the doors, man. It's not even worth being open. Without a doubt, God has a word for churches across this nation. He would rather some churches to cease to exist than to carry on in the games that are going on, abusing and despising the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why God says in verses 10 and 11, he says, I take no pleasure in it. I will not accept that offering. I will not. Because it's not done in the root and the honor and the fear of my name. But then notice in verse 11. In verse 11, he says, But from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and every place incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering, for my name will be great among the nations. You know what God's saying there? He says, I may not find those who fear my name among you, but I will find, I will find the remnant. I will find those who will fear my name and honor me, because this is what I desire to do, and this is who I desire to have before my life. God will take the lampstand from one church and give it to another. 
because you will find a group of people who truly understand the meaning and purpose of life to honor him and fear his name. How do I honor him? I give him my best. I'm jealous for his name. Thirdly, I love to fear him. I love to fear him, no spiritual laziness. So the Lord says, my name will be among the nations that will be feared. But now he returns again to the, to the neglect of his own people. Look at verse 12. Specifically the priests, but of course the people are involved in this as well. But you profane it, verse 12. But you profane it when you say the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick. And this you bring as your offering, your scraps. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? We already know the answer. The answer is no. Verse 14, cursed. Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. What happens in verses 12 to 14, we see specific signs of spiritual laziness or lethargy. In fact, four of them on the screen beside me, Behind me, the number one is this. Notice, profane worship. A sign of spiritual laziness, lethargy, a heart sickness. Profane worship, verse 12, but you profane it. Profane worship is to take something that's intended for true worship and to make it unholy. It's something God dis- disapproves of. It's a serious offense against God. And some of you might say, well, this is the Old Testament. We're now living in the age of grace. God is like, don't offer me something profane. And say, well, that is true. But notice what this verse says from 1 Corinthians 11 pertaining to the Lord's Supper, which we celebrate and remember today in the New Testament within the age of grace. Paul says, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, in a profane manner, will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. And goes on to say in the next verse, that is why some of you have become weak and sick and even died. It's in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 11. Profane worship, it makes my heart shudder to think of the young man or woman or the man or woman at all who would come in here in a day like this and before the Lord's Supper and be hung over. Maybe still feeling effects of some night previously out doing who knows what with who knows what. Sinning their face off in the worldliness and darkness of our society and would dare to come in here and pick up the symbols of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ and receive it in a state of where there's unrepented, unconfessed, blatant sin against the Lord and his glory? Don't play that game, man. Let me be clear. The Lord's Supper is for all those who are truly saved in Jesus Christ, and every contrite heart and broken heart will receive grace and forgiveness as they come to I'm talking about the person who wanders in here, man, and just treats it lightly, trifling with the holiness and glory of God. Don't do it. Don't do it. That's profane worship. Secondly, weary worship. 
Weary worship, verse 13. Look at verse 13. They say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it. Snort at it is they turn up their noses. Weariness, what a weariness. So what they're doing here is they're they're looking at the mercy and the service of God, and they're like, oh, what a burden. Oh, I'm so tired of God's grace and his love. Oh, I just, I have to go to church again. Oh, another prayer meeting. Oh, you mean I have to come and sing to God about how much he loves me and has saved me from my sin? And oh, I'm so tired. I just want to sit at home and, and sit on my tush again and just do know all oh, the weariness this gospel is. See how that's such a problem? This is what the people were doing. Oh, it's so tiring. Oh, I'm so, I'm so exhausted from all God's love. It's just the wickedness of our hearts. Maybe, maybe some of you came in here today. Oh, I'm at church again. Oh, I gotta go and reflect upon the God of all glory who has made me his child. Oh, what a burden, right? Like, a, look at how dumb that sounds, right? But we do this. That's weary worship. And we turn our noses up against the grace of God, which has set us free from sin and hell and Satan. Please, Lord, not here. Please, Lord, not here. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me. Cursed worship. Verse 14. Cursed worship. Cursed be the cheat who has, listen, who has the best in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices his scraps. My paraphrase. Cursed. Cursed. It's, um, it's a form of deception. If we're coming in here and we're offering God paltry amounts, just, just, just ask this question. How much are you spending? How much time and energy do you place on luxurious items in your life? You say, well, what's luxurious? Mm, pretty much anything beyond food on our table and clothes on our back. In our society compared to the rest of the world, how much time, money are you spending on that? How much are you giving to the kingdom of God? In one sense, I mean, God's saying, if you, if, if you have your best and you bring him your worst? The text is clear today. You're bringing him scraps and leftovers? He's like, is that a real, is that a real offering? Really? Does it cost you anything? The offering in Malachi's day, the value of it was placed on what it cost the person offering it. And then blind worship. Why blind worship? Well, because God says, I'm the great king, the Lord of hosts. Can't you see the heart of God here? He's like, it's almost like he's talking to his people, pleading with them, but also he's like, hey, listen, I'm the great king. Why are you, why are you giving your lives to trash? Why are you spending yourselves on that which does not satisfy? I'm the great king. My name will be feared among the nations. Why are you so blind? Why is your worship so blind? At the end of the day, God says, where is my honor? Where are those who fear my name? God says, return to me, loved ones, and I will return to you. Why? Because the Lord yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell within us. I love how services come together. Think of this, and I just ask you to be still right now. I don't pack stuff up, just be still where you are. Think of why the Lord Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper. It's precisely for moments like these to remember 
his sacrifice of his life on earth, his death on the cross to payment for our sins. Why? That we might be humbled, that we might be grateful, that we might take our sin again and confess it to him and be reminded of all that he has done in sacrifice for us, that we might turn and in turn offer ourselves anew to him in worship because the one who has given us everything now demands from us everything because he is worthy of our everything and the only one who is.